What's going on, guys? On this episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, coaches Skip, Andrew, and myself answer your questions as we always do. If you have any questions for the next show, then comment below. We'll be happy to tackle them then. And hey, if you're new here, I encourage you to hit the subscribe button and hit the bell. Uh, Andrew's been coaching for 14 years. I'm at 13. Skip's been coaching for 20 years. And we're here today to freely share our education with you so that you can be better at the sport that we love. This week, we talk about machines versus free weights. Why have machines gotten such a bad rep? Training everything once a week versus higher frequency. We talk about seal rows. We have important questions like, uh, do you use a fork or a spoon, a plate or a bowl for your meals? Should you ramp down gear at the end of your cycle? Which minor convenience would you wish upon your worst enemies? How have our mindsets and ideas changed as coaches over the years? Plus, handling Ramadan as a bodybuilder. That'll be a special treat for our Muslim viewers. I hope you guys enjoy the program. Like I said, comment with your questions, plus all your comments. They're helping to boost us up, and we appreciate all your positivity. Let's get this thing started. All right. So we had a question from Isaac, uh, and this is actually, I believe he posted this on Patreon, uh, and we're going to take this first one. He says, I find there is uh, more direct and greater stimulation with machines making for greater inroads since there is no effort utilized in balancing the weight. Why are machines so frowned upon, especially from old school bodybuilders? For the very reason that he mentioned uh, about not having to balance out the weight. When you don't balance out the weight, stabilizers aren't hit. I think it can, look, I don't know that, because I consider myself old school, obviously. I'm old, and therefore old school comes very natural to me. Um, I was around before hammer strength. Yes, I've been around that long. Um, Machines play an integral role in the development. I mean, look, I I think it's, I think good machines, the hammer strength and things like that really have played into better development over the years to some degree. I, I don't question that. But I think if you start relying on them and you get away from the compound exercise or the exercise where you have to use a lot more stabilizers. Uh, you're just, mm, you're just missing. You're, you're gonna, you can potentially create imbalances. You can create weaknesses and stabilizers. It's, I, I just, I think that's why they're frowned upon. I don't think they're bad. Um, you know, if I had to, I think the next question by somebody would be, well, then what part is machines and what? But that there's no, there's no number, there's no ratio or anything else. But I think that it would be more beneficial if people stayed with the compound free weight dumbbell exercise dumbbell barbell exercises things like that and not just trade them all in for for machines you do have people who've been very successful with me you got a lot of people quite frankly i mean you can watch any any of the top pros and the large majority of them use machines they're arguably safer uh from a standpoint of you know you're not going to fuck something up as much on a hammer strength bench as you are a, a barbell bench or dumbbell presses are very laborious to get heavy dumbbells into place and things like that. I think that's why they're frowned upon, but I don't think they're necessarily bad versus good. Use them both. Um, use them both. I'll leave it at that. You might even uh, say that a lot of times bodybuilders get injured because they're using too many machines because of the, it's taken away the stabilizing muscle, uh, uh, stabilizing work and mm-hmm. putting when they go back to say a barbell or a dumbbell exercise, free weights, uh, they're putting undue stress on the joint tissue, which hasn't experienced that force uh, load. 
um, for a while. And I think that might be where a lot of bodybuilders and, – and, and here's why I'm going with this is that how many times do you hear about bodybuilders tearing a pec or a bicep or something after a contest season? And, yes, I know, like, you know – there's, there's many ba- multi uh, factors that come into play there, but I think another reason is a lot of bodybuilders over that last four weeks, they get away from the incline barbell presses, they get away from the squats, they're doing more of the machine works, the hammer strength, the hoist presses, uh, as much as they can, maybe for the simple fact that oh, I don't want to lug you know all these dumbbells into place, or I don't want to have to pick a 45-pound plate up and put it up onto an incline or a shoulder press. I got a machine where I can just move a pin, do that for me. Just You know, like when you're really dog-tired and prepped, those little little decisions kind of do come across your mind of like, eh, I don't really feel like doing that. You know what I mean? Um, so, I'm yeah, I'm kind of echoing Skip's statement that, you know, um, it, it's easier in a sense because, yeah, it's doing the stabilization for you. And um, mm-hmm. there's a time and place for it, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, a 50-50 split is, is more than enough for machines versus free weights. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you guys come across this. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll have people – here's here's a thought, first of all. It, by using a free weight, the thought is is that, you know, he said you don't have to stabilize it so you can target the muscle better. You know, just simply through having to stabilize the muscle, you can activate more tissue. So there is there is going to be that you're going to get more overall mass development and the compound movement, like, say, you know, a, a, a dumbbell press. Then you're going to be able to out of, say, like a hammer strength machine just had been in my experience. And that's what we've all kind of gravitated to, you know, for mass growth, keeping it simple, keeping it big and basic. But you can only do that for so long. Like you can only push your work. Here's my thought is that. Uh, I would say, you know, use those free weight exercises earlier in your workout. And then when you can no longer, when you're, when your endurance is getting knocked down, when your strength is getting knocked down, then moving to a machine, then you can, you can still continue to push, you know, early in a workout. I know I have personally a lot of strength, uh, and I could do a free weight movement where after I've pushed and given 110%, uh, I might not be able to repeat that again, but if I did need to do another exercise, then I were to use something that was in a fixed track and I'm pressing. Now I just, that's all I have to do is press. I can I can then get deeper and you know go further into the muscle. So a lot of times what I suggest to people, if, if somebody comes to me and their goal is to grow muscle and we look at their workouts, if they are using all machines, then I'll have them at least start with free weights. Like you were saying, you know, 50-50. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. And and you know what, another place for machines is really good is if you get um, if you get injured, you know? There's times that like, if if I were left to doing a barbell back squat, I just wouldn't be able to train, you know? If that's the only option I had. Have you ever seen anybody tear a pack on a on a hammer strength press? Yeah. Have you? I, oh, no. I, well, I guess yeah. what? No, I mean, and we may have, but the point is, is it's incredibly rare and uncommon. And that's the thing. I mean, I just, I want to emphasize that it's not, you know, I don't think 60, 40, maybe even 70, 30 with, you know, machines to free with is a bad thing. It's when mm. you get to 90, 10 and you sit there mm. for a while or 80, 20 and you sit yeah. there for a while. That's a little bit different. You know, and when I say 80, 20 in favor of, uh, you know, machines, uh, but there are people, like I said, who've been incredibly successful. Yeah. You're going to see arguments on both sides. On the one hand, there's pros and cons to both, I guess is the best way to say it. So to keep it relatively balanced, just so that one isn't way out of whack as far as the ratio, I think you're going to be a lot 
better off in the audience. You make a very good point about the stabilizers being weak after a while, and then you come back to them, and that is, that's a very, think about the straight, especially the bigger you are and the stronger you are. If you've got a lot of strength and you're coming off a big, big run with machines and you start going with dumbbell presses and barbell presses and you're starting to bang after those calories up and your weight comes up after a show, I hear them knocking. Opportunity is right there knocking at the door. Yeah. I see you. I see you through the peephole. <laughs> All right. Let's see what else we got here. That guy actually had a ton of questions. I'll bring his his thing back up. See if there's anything else we want to do. Uh, bodybuilders that follow bro splits, especially when they're enhanced, does it seriously take a whole six days for a muscle group to recover? I've been rec- I've just recently learned about push pull legs and how it allows a higher frequency of training. Would it be more beneficial to hit a muscle group twice in one week? Rather than one, Scott Stevenson's watching. Yeah, these are good questions because a lot of that answer depends upon frequency, intensity, and volume. Uh, Everybody's recovery is different, so you know, I I'll I'll use myself as an example. If I train a muscle group more than once a week, I'm going to bury myself pretty quickly. The reason isn't because it's just once a week; it's because I don't like to pull back from my intensity and my volume. Because to train the same muscle group twice a week, I would have to do that. Otherwise, my recovery wouldn't be there. My recovery would be compromised. And, and I've always said throughout the years, you know, on gear, off gear, whatever, I am not one of the one of the people in, in the industry or sport who has great recovery ability. Now, the volume and, of course, the intensity and things like that, Matt, I don't want to pull those things back. I like those things being constant. Again, it's a preference. It's a personal preference thing. So for me to train everything once once a week is ideal for me. Sometimes if I go eight or nine days, I'll actually even come back a little bit stronger and my joints will feel a little bit better. So to get down into training something twice a week, I mean, I've tried it with legs and things like that. I can't pull back enough on the volume and intensity to make that happen. It just, it doesn't sit well on my brain. You're a guy too. Like you came up when DC training was super popular. So, and I know you've tried going to, higher frequency well i mean how long did you give dc a run because i i'm what i'm thinking to myself is you've done this a long time i know you've given higher frequency a fair shake mm-hmm. yeah i did dc for almost three years and i made very very good gains on it but here's the catch dc in its most simple form following it by the book i can't do rest pause in three or four weeks i'm overtrained i mean i'm beat to shit so I actually had to do for the, for the large part of those three years, almost three years, two and a half, two and three quarters, something like that. I had to just do straight sets to failure and I grew like fucking crazy, but I hated it. And here's the thing. You never hate growing. You never hate progressing, but I just hated walking out of there going, I just want to do more work. I can do more work. And we, and we said this on the last podcast that someone complimented us on it, which I appreciated. It isn't about what you can do. It's about what is most optimal. But when you have trained for a while and you have that feeling and you you enjoy the, the aspect of training, you just, I, that's where I have the option, two main options. I can, I can keep my volume very, very low and walk out dissatisfied and progress relatively well. Or I can have the increased volume train, you know, once each muscle group once a week and walk out of there feeling better and just a good workout. And I've kind of rode the drug a little bit or rode the high because I'm in there longer and I'm enjoying the work. I'm enjoying the pump. I'm enjoying how everything feels, the fluidity of everything. And that's just what I choose. I don't know that one is better than the other. As long as you're providing a, and I know Dante 
says that, that training more frequently is better. But my argument to that is that I'm not saying he's wrong. All I'm saying is my counter argument to that is if you're going to grow X amount from, let's say you're going to train twice a week, you grow 50% of what you would grow if you trained once a week. In the end, it's it's the same it's the same progression as far as growth. Now, can you put black and white numbers on that and make that very, of course not, but that's how I see it. If you're going to bomb the hell out of something once a week, or you're going to half bomb it twice a week and you're going to grow the same, I don't, I'd rather do it once a week and walk out of there satisfied. It's just that it's that drug thing. It's that preference. It's that we do what we do. It was always difficult for me to hold back on those, on that volume. I, I did not enjoy the process. Did enjoy growing, but I did not enjoy the workouts. You bring up a really good point. You have to love what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like you have, you can't, you can't follow a training plan that you don't enjoy and stick to it. There's like, there's, there's no, I mean, we, we train because why do we do bodybuilding in general? Most of it's because most of us, we do it because we love the gym. You know, we love working out. And if, if sure. that's not your style, you know, like people who don't like progressive overload, it's like, I think progressive overload can be really great, but if you don't like progressive overload, then, you know, what's it going to, it's not going to be any, it's not going to work for you long-term, you know, you're not going to have fun with it. You're not going to stick with it. It's really Scott Stevenson who introduced me to that. Cause I was talking, I had this, um, this thing I wrote up to send to a client and it was about getting focused and, and, and being able to build your intensity up in the gym and what it takes. And Scott said, yeah, this is really good. If that person wants to be like that, this is several years ago. Mm -hmm. He was like, if that person wants to be like that, if they don't want to be like that, they can have just as good of a workout and have a different attitude, you know? Yeah. I was like, huh. Yeah. And I've got a point to add to this too, because I think, and this is really important. I don't want to get off on a side note, but this is important. When I have a client come to me, a female client, and they say, I don't know if I should compete. I don't know if I want to go physique. I don't know if I want to go figure. I usually throw at them, what style of training do you enjoy more? Because the style of training is pretty mm. different from figure to physique. And the reason I do that is because 99% of the time that you're going to spend getting to your goal in either division is going to be the training and, and it's going to be more specific with figure or it's not going to be more specific, but it's going to be different. So which one, because you're going to be spending so much time doing it, which one do you enjoy more? Because you need to enjoy the process and the journey. And I'm going to say this for the record. I think there are a lot of younger, the younger generation uh, right now who do not, and it's their business, it's fine, but they don't enjoy the process. They want the pro card, they want the mm. attention, they want the social media, they want the titles, all that good shit, but they don't really enjoy being in the gym and the pounding and the grinding and the diet and everything else. Yeah. They just enjoy the, the, they're trying to get to the finish line as quickly as possible and to each their own, but you don't find that with the old school guys as much. They're more satisfied with the process than crossing the finish line. Mm. If I can also add to his question, I, I, I'll i say this. All that said, um, my thought is, is that if you, you know, every time if you can, if you can trigger growth more frequently, then you can you can grow faster And if you my thought is, is that if if you can do something you hadn't done before and you can trigger growth and then you can recover from it, however long it takes and then you do it again, the more. The more frequently you can make that happen, uh, the faster I think you can grow. I will say also, though, so well, so, if to, you know, if you're doing a push pull legs and everything's being hit, you know, once every, you know, seven, twice every seven days, 
then you've got 100 workouts under your belt versus 50. I don't know how much you know the volume matters, but if we're just looking at the triggering of growth, if I'm triggering growth 100 times versus 50 times, and uh, that that would be an argument toward trying to be more progressive. That that'd be my thought. Sure. The argument though is whether that would we'll actually skip, we'll happen skip if you get that. Oh, go ahead. Well, like yeah, like was I'm gonna echo what Skip was saying is that you're either giving it a full dose or you're giving it a half to half dose twice mm-hmm. a week, basically, right? But are and you? So yeah, that's, which one works out better? But are you? Do you really need to do? All of that, you know, if, if, if I can work up to something I hadn't done before, because here's my thought. If if I go in and I train chest and let's say that I do this and this was my own personal evolution. So I, if I, I used to do four or five exercises, say, and and I'm not saying you're wrong, by the way, Skip, I'm just like this is my, no, my what worked for me, you know, but. If I go in and I, and what I used to do was, you know, train four or five exercises once a week, and then my shoulder was really bothering me. I recognized, okay, I can get through about two exercises, but then if I keep going, man, my shoulder just bothers me and I don't get as good of a workout, so I'll stop. And then I, I was like, well, then I'll come back and I'll do a couple more exercises later in the week. And then I started realizing, like, my first couple exercises, like if I go into the gym and I'm doing a like a the pro split or the bro split, those first couple exercises have a lot more to them than the last couple. The last, the last, like I'm doing flies and I'm just pumping more blood into the muscle. I feel like I can train super intense for the first couple exercises, but I can't maintain that level of intensity personally through the rest of the workout. Like if I go in there and I like do a max effort bench press of some type for 10 reps, I'm not going to be able to do that an hour from now, you know, 15 sets down the road. But if I were to hold off and come back in a few days, I could repeat that again. So to me, I felt like my my time in the gym was more effective because every time I trained, everything was that real intense, harder stuff. And you make very good points. I mean, that's what we're cutting to. And that's the individual, the individual component of because where you can come back another, say, three or four days later, my joints are pounded. So if I come back, I'm looking at it. And I also look at it from a proactive type standpoint too. And this is part of me being older. I'm like, well, if I train twice a week, I'm giving myself exactly 50% more opportunity to injure myself where while I'm in there and the more work that I do. And when I say higher volume, I don't mean, you know, I mean, like as an example, I do eight working sets for chest, uh, not counting warm up. So, I mean, I'm not on this huge volume kick, but at the same time it does, it comes back to that recovery. And if you're able to, I'll be honest, if I was able to recover my joints, felt good, I probably would train more frequently, but I know to do that, I would have to pull that volume back. And it's just something that because I enjoy the process of being, it's already difficult for me to pull back to eight sets. I want to go in there and just bomb shit. I want to bomb shit until this is what, this is what a lot of people do. They stop when they, when they no longer can maintain it, they start to lose the pump. <laughs> and I mean, if you're going to go to that level, I'm not going to knock you for doing it because you love being in the gym. But the reality is, is the large majority of people, if that's when you're going to stop, you're, you're likely that's a load of volume that you're not going to be able to recover from. Another thought. It goes back to just because you like it doesn't mean it's effective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I also found too or most effective. It's probably still effective to some degree, but I found that I did better for a period of time with higher frequency after I had done lower frequency for 
all of my life, you know, just by simply switching it to higher frequency, things got better. And I've done that with clients too. And I think that it works to a point, you know, it's, it's different. You know, if you're used to getting triggered once every week, then going to twice every week is something that's going to be different. And if you've been doing that for years, then that, that could be, you know, does it work? It could work because I think anything can work for a while. You know, it could be an option. Why why does it, well, I guess why is he automatically going to train in everything twice a week? I mean, mm. that is quite a bit, a bit of frequency and volume in terms of, you know, the whole body. Like, why not maybe structure it for like a four-week phase or so where he's training his back twice a week because he's trying to bring it up. And then a right. four-week phase where he's trying to bring his push muscles up. And then a four-week phase where he's hitting his legs twice a week versus I'm going to tr- do the Ronnie Coleman, you know, six days a week hitting everything exactly twice a week like not all like no one's built like that except for him so i i don't think i don't think just rushing into doing everything twice a week is effective or even smart for one thing i think you know start with start with increasing your volume on your worst body part you know like if your back is weak start hitting that twice a week and go from there and make sure you're recovering because the worst thing you want to do is add a second workout in and then not be able to when monday comes around or whatever day is day one in your in your program go back to that same muscle group and either be sore or have a less effective workout so yeah you're doing twice as much work and not getting any more progress i mean that you got to really love the gym because there are other things you could be doing with that time than wasting it (laughs) what what's your frequency like andrew uh, I'm right now. I'm doing exactly what I like. I, I got serious about bodybuilding again about three weeks ago. Okay. And just what I described. Uh, cool. I'm doing, um, you know, a leg day, a push day, a pull day, an arm day, and then we have back. Uh, I, I train my back again, more of like a pump style workout. So not going to be doing as many bent over rows or any of that type of stuff. But um, and then working more Terry's on that day. And so I'll do that for four to six weeks until I feel like I've gotten a good run out of it. And then I'll maybe add extra volume in for, say, legs, you know, for a four or five week phase. And then maybe I'll do chest and shoulders if I feel like they're lagging behind, that kind of thing. When I started with push-pull legs, I tried to do six days a week. and it, it was too much for me. So I went to five and eventually went to four. And then four and even into three at one point, because I need, I just knew I was like, if I give it one more day, I'll be so much stronger. It was kind of a obsessive thing, I think, at the time. Uh, I'll just chuck this one in here. And we got some stuff in the live feed, too. Uh, advice for someone with body dysmorphia, specifically fear of gaining fat. You're in good company. Okay, but technically, yeah, <laughs> he, he, I I agree with that. But but is the I don't and and again I don't want to pick the question apart, but I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I don't see the fear of fat gain as body dysmorphia. I see body dysmorphia as you don't view your body the realistically as far as what it is. Am I not? Am I off base here? Is that what you, how you guys look at it, or or am I just? You're you're saying when they look in the mirror, they see something different than the rest of us see. Like someone who's got a pretty good physique, all they see is like, oh man, I got a shitty physique. Exactly. Right? Now that's why I ask about this because if he if he has body dysmorphia, he has a fear of fat gain. Does he see himself as fat, but he's not? Then I can understand what he's saying. But if he doesn't see himself as fat, but he just doesn't want to get fat, to me that's not as much body dysmorphia. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking it apart, but I just want to make sure. We're on the same page. I think in bodybuilding, 
there is seeing this is a very very difficult thing because you know advice you can give advice but your internal processing of your thoughts and how you feel about yourself is not going to change based on three meatheads giving advice you know on a on a pocket it's something you have to process and and deal with and, and kind of overcome and i think in this industry we're hard on ourselves and we have high expectations for ourselves but i don't think that as a rule, the large majority are truly dysmorphic in the sense that they don't see what is actually there. We just want better and we're never satisfied. I don't see that as dysmorphia. What do you guys say? Agree 100%. Nothing else to add. I think, you know what I bet it is, is that the, think, think about people who feel like you, know, you get used to being super lean and then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I'm fat. When in reality, you're still a lot leaner than the vast majority of people out there. I I bet that's what I wonder if they were formerly fat, too. You know, right. I, do, I do think that that plays a role. Like when you've you've mm -hmm. been scarred because you were really overweight, then heck, yeah, I could see how people would be really terrified of that. You know, because I've helped people and I'm sure you guys have, too, where they wanted to, to lose a lot of fat and they were successful with it. And then from there, then the only step is, well, OK, we could add some more calories in. You know, and you could, you know, you could you could try to use this to grow now. You're in a good spot to put on some muscle. And that's where they, they get a little leery. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I can relate to not wanting to be fatter. This much more so in my older age. I mm -hmm. don't like when I was younger, I was young. Okay, I get fat. I'm in a bulking phase. It doesn't really matter. Uh, someone see me and I see they're looking at me and maybe they think I'm fat. I'm like, yeah, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm, I'm bulking. Now that I'm older it is a very unappealing look now i'm just an old guy who's heavier who works out a little bit so i do have an issue with it but i don't again and maybe i'm just justifying my body dysmorphia but i don't see that as dysmorphic it's just something that i don't want to be i don't want to look bulky i don't want to be thick and fat in my gut you know things like that so that's why i was you know wondering where you guys were as far as the def the definition of dysmorphia all right, I'm going to go to the live feed. Chase Irons says, uh, I've been getting questions about SHBG on how important it is to keep in range. What are your guys' feelings on that? And do you have any protocols to keep it from getting crushed? Or do you feel it isn't uh, that big of a deal and let it go under range with regards to optimizing gains? I have no protocols. I I don't put too much stock in it. I don't think I've ever seen anything significant one way or the other um, impeding or progressing someone's gains. Uh, but I could be just not looking, you know, the way this person is. Okay, let me understand because I'm when he's talking about being crushed. I mean, I think we can. Let me get the basics out of the way. I think we can all agree that you know high SHBG is not going to be great because it's essentially not freeing up as much testosterone um, on the same page so far. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but like, so I would assume most of our listeners are PED users and I have yet to see a PED user not have a free testosterone that was like, you know, exorbitant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't disagree with that, but I, I mean, I think I know I've seen, I would assume you guys have too, where, it's not as 
high as maybe it should be, and then the SHBG is higher. So I'm looking at it going, um, you know, I, 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 let me come at it a different way. Part of the reason that I think that TRT, a shift that I've made in TRT, I think we've talked about it on here. I think you guys have done it or have thought about it too, is using low-dose mastron with um, testosterone during TRT. And my, pro- my thought process was to increase the free testosterone more instead of focusing on total testosterone. I mean, that's why I think we've all said that total testosterone really isn't as important as free testosterone because you could have a relatively – you know, especially TRT, I'm going back to TRT because then it would be more pronounced than if you have a 4,000 total <laughs> testosterone level and, you know, your free testosterone at that point isn't as big of a deal. But if you have a 1,000 uh, testosterone level and you have a low normal free testosterone level with higher SHBG versus a lower SHBG on that same 1,000 total testosterone, then to me that would seem, and again, this is on paper. This isn't quantifiable. You can't look and go, well, you'd have better gains. It just makes sense logically that on paper, if your free testosterone were higher on a total testosterone of 1,000 milligrams, that you would benefit more from that than you would if your SHBG was higher. So, I mean, as far as a protocol, I would, you know, look, it comes back to the the, the idea or the concept around the mastron with, with testosterone to lower SHBG. And I do think that they're, again, on paper, that that is logical to me. And I like logical things. In the end, if it doesn't pan out practically, okay. But on paper, it sounds, it makes sense. So to give that a run and see, you know, how it goes, that's kind of my, my thinking behind that. But that's the only thing I can think of is pro, either that or proviron, obviously. Um, but, you know, there's an the argument, too, that if your testosterone levels, like you were saying, Andrew, if they're very, very high, then what's the difference between a very small change in, in free testosterone if the SHBG were a little bit lower? That I can't that I can't really answer, other than what it looks like on paper. Right. I mean, you can throw in some boron, too, though. Um, that'll help increase the free testosterone. I don't know how mm-hmm. much that's going to help someone that's already at super physiological levels of testosterone. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if your testosterone levels are, like, 4,000 total – and your free test is, you know, hundreds. I don't know if adding a little bit of boron is going to help versus, like you said, the TRT person who's on 125 megs of test a week, you know, but their their free testosterone is like looks a little hypogonadal. I think the boron will help them in that situation. Um, increase what I think is thrown. What I think is throwing me a little bit about his question is, and I'm just going to be honest. I, you guys, you know, know me. I hope the learners or the listeners know I'm pretty tra- transparent. If I don't know something, I admit that I don't know something. The question kind of implies that low SHBG or too low of SHBG levels will somehow make gains less optimal. I don't see that because the lower the SHBG, the cat's just tearing into the chair. Is that what that is? Sorry about that. Got to keep those shot, those claws sharp because of all the wild animals that come through and threaten their lives. You never in know. The apartment high rise apartment floor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of crazy shit, dangerous shit going on out there. But anyway, it, it implies that he's saying that the that the low SHBG could potentially get in the way of gains. I don't see that because the lower the SHBG, uh, you know, maybe if they're crushed. I, I haven't seen a crushed SHBG. I don't think with any of my clients i mean i i've never seen that so i almost want to say unless you're just absolutely bottoming that bitch out like it's you know a a nine estrogen level (laughs) i don't think you're gonna really run into a situation where it's gonna get in the way of your gains being optimal but correct me if i'm wrong because i'm like i said i'm going on record as saying i just have not i've not heard of that and maybe he has you guys ever hear Uh, the i agree with you 
the free androgen theory hypothesis, I think it's called. Scott Stevenson uh, was talking about it. it. Uh, re- refresh. Yeah, Scott Stevenson was yeah. talking about it, and and I, I'm he would have to explain it again, but it, it painted SHBG as being possibly like a transporter. Did maybe maybe we needed SHBG to be able to transport? I guess that I would I would be interested uh, to suggest uh, Chase to to look that up and see if any of that because it's not something I can explain. But I thought maybe since SHBG is something he's interested in. Maybe it's something he could like dive into, and and it would spark some new ideas for him. That was all. You know, I'll do a little research, and maybe we can make a little, um, do a little five minute talk about it next time. Okay, okay. I'm sure Scott would be happy to talk about it too. We had talked about it uh, quite a while ago, and it was one of those things. I remember, you know, SHBG because it's like I remember coming up in bodybuilding we used to always think like oh man you want to keep that SHBG low you know what I mean you want your because you need your free test to buy and da, 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 you know all that and it's like and then all of a sudden you ever, I think I, th- I don't think you ever want to have zero or something you know I don't think you want to ever crush yeah. anything like for yeah. instance like we, we know that crushing your estrogen is absolutely stupid you know right um, in terms of muscular gain and fat loss etc cetera, etc cetera. but um yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think we want to see it uh, crushed, and I, I've never seen it crushed on somebody either. Yeah, neither have I. That's the thing that's kind of throwing me. I don't think I've ever seen it really in the basement. But all right, we got another listener question here on the live feed. Um, I, I have took nine hundred milligrams of test E, six hundred EQ, six hundred mast E weekly, one milligram of a Rimidex a day, okay, and five units of GH. Excuse me. Uh, I want to go tomorrow uh, to a cruise of 150 milligrams of test E a week. My target was fat loss and build muscle. Uh, Now I am 330. I was 360. Excuse me, 300. Yeah, 360. Uh, But I think I plateaued. That's why I want to cruise. Did uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, oh, let's see. He had another thing. Let me add this. Uh, do you have any tips what I could do better next time in terms of gear and diet? Uh, I want to start next blast mid-May. God, there's a lot of information. That's. I mean, that's a very yeah. little, small amount <laughs> of information saying. to go on. You know, I, he gives the weight, but really no other measure as far as whether that that was a good solid run and you know what his body composition looks like uh you know things like that um he asks about diet so my go-to you know my response typically in a situation like this is rip that diet apart before you even begin to rip the gear the gear protocol apart because you know despite the fact that there could be more optimal numbers or ratios for compounds for dosing it could be less it could be less compounds whatever you're still in an anabolic environment with that gear there whether it's overkill or not is is debatable but i would be digging into that diet if you don't feel it was that your last run was terribly effective uh, i would go to the diet way before and rip the shit out of it and evaluate it and and dig through that before i would go with the gear because if your diet and everything is on track and your training is is good and it's optimal and it's efficient and you're recovering that amount of gear you know playing with the gear ratios and everything else 
probably isn't going to make a significant change as much as looking at your training and your diet protocol. Yeah, because he could really diet. I mean, he could continue. To, oh, we lost Andrew. He'll come back, I'm sure. Maybe it was he really, didn't like my answer. He didn't. He's like, fuck this clown. Fuck this clown. Um, <laughs> don't you think like that he could, like, you, you don't need, the gear isn't really going to create the fat loss, right? I mean, oh, I think, no question. I, mean, I think that's, and if what, that's what he's getting, getting at. at, at oh, sure. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think a lot of people do get into that, especially when it comes to trying. I'm going to get so much. I'm going to get so lean on trying. I'm going to get so lean on trying. It has a very, very minimal impact, uh, maybe more so than a few other compounds. But the point is, is it's certainly no fat burner. So I would not ever approach my AAS cycle or programming for this, for your cycle from a fat loss standpoint. Let the diet, cardio, uh, arguably your training, and I only say the training because if you're training high volume and more higher frequency, you are going to burn more calories and you're going to tend to be more depleted than if you're lower volume and less frequent. That's just a yeah. calories in, calories out. A lot of people think that the training isn't uh, isn't aerobic and it's it's not aerobic in a sense, but you're still you you're can still burn calories. more calories with a higher volume. What's that? Oh, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, you're burning calories. Yeah, you definitely yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, and I would almost think if he wants, I mean, he's got time. He's, he's, he said it looks like he's only going to take a month's downtime if it's April now, and he says he wants to start back up in May. That's not a lot of time to take down to recover, but, you know, to, to each their own, just be aware of that. Right. But my thought would be is if you're at 330 now, yeah, like, like you said, Skip, if he starts to really work on that diet and get to the point where he can get consistent fat loss, then you add the gear in after that. You know what I mean? Like that. The, right. I I almost feel too like with gear, we you once you start a, a cycle, you're kind of on the clock. You know, and I almost don't want to with somebody who has a lot of fat loss. I don't necessarily want to start that cycle right away. Like I want to get as much as we can before we start the cycle. You know, yeah. but I I think we yeah. a lot of times associate with being on the gear with with that being uh the answer you know versus you know that being the result versus the i mean it's really the uh, the way you look at the end of the day is the result so the gear is just one of many tools you know yeah and he's not missing out with that i mean that gear dosing in those compounds it's not like oh if you added one thing it would be so much better yeah he's he's that dosing in that those compounds that's pretty solid i would rip into the training and the diet yeah what's up Hey, glad to have you back. <laughs> the, o- the only other thing I would add is, uh, did he say he's going to start blasting again in May? Yeah, yeah. Which is four weeks away. And he yeah. just finished his, he just started cruising like very, very recently. Yeah. My advice would be like, you know, I don't know your health situation, but like I don't tell any of my guys to take six weeks off and let's jump on again. That's just me. You know, eight weeks would be the minimum, I think. Blood work on both ends. And more likely, it's going to be closer to 12 weeks um, be in between cycles. That That's just me. Yeah. You know, I, I I never, ever want to have a reputation of hurting somebody's health. And I know you guys yeah. don't either. And it's just, you know, I, I, I'm going to play it a little bit more cautiously versus, you know, gains, gains, gains. So, yeah. well, like, well, especially like, at that weight. Didn't he say he was 330 and he went to 360? Is that is that he was talking about a scale? Weight, he was right? at three sixty and he went to three thirty. He was cutting. Okay, I believe. okay, yeah. and that's cool that he came down, but that's still that's a big individual. So there's another reason. Yeah. Now, listen, I'm not going to say uh, that if you weigh you know 190 pounds of being on all that gear and not taking a long you know taking time off or taking a longer cruise is a great idea either. But if you compare the two, someone who is just larger 
at 350, 360, 330 versus someone who's 200 pounds, you know, your heart, your systems and everything, <clears throat> there's quite a bit more going on there because I have to assume this body level or body fat level, I'm sorry, is higher than most 200 pound people. He probably has a higher body fat level. So then you, you know, you have the potential for more sides when you're heavier and holding more water. And then you got heart and kidney stress and things that come along with being um, larger and having a higher body fat level. I almost feel like if I were to try to set up goals with this guy, I would, I mean, obviously I can't, I can't say for sure. Cause we're like you said, Skip, we don't have a ton of information. So we're kind of filling in a lot of blanks here. Right. But if you were, if we were to say he was, you know, substantially like he had a lot of fat that he needed to lose still. And he's at three thirty now. I almost feel like, Hey, you know, let's keep you on the TRT. Let's really buckle down with the nutrition Let's get you to like, let's set a goal, right? Like maybe let's get you to 300. Okay. Yeah. And then, yep. and then let's start the cycle versus like, we're going to get back on it. Cause I just want to impress upon him that it's the gear being on or off. Isn't going to make a huge difference in your fat loss, you know? So. Mm -hmm. yep. can, I, can I also make another statement that maybe when people are giving us um, questions like this, they accompany like a front and back photo. So we can get a general idea of conditioning level. Like, are we looking at, you know, Ronnie Coleman, 300 pounds, or are we looking at, you know, an offensive lineman, 300 pounds, you know? Right. Yeah. If we, if we can, Patreon, they can do that. Um, or on Facebook, the group, they can. I can't get questions. I can't get pictures here, I don't think. on the Like, I can't, yeah. you yeah. know, they'd have to, like, set them separately. We'd have to prepare ahead of time. And I think the that. three of us are pretty easy well, to find, that, though, that, on that, social media to be able to send pictures, too. It would yeah. really help. It would allow us to give up. And some people aren't comfortable doing that. I don't blame them for, for not wanting to. But if you are comfortable with that, it would be it would allow us to get it give you a better critique or, or, a, or more of a detailed response because we would just have that much more information. Okay. Seal Rose, what are your thoughts? Alfonso's back. What are your thoughts on the Seal Row bench? Alfonso. And the exercise ah, in general. It looks like it is more effective than Barbell Rose. Okay, I I'm going to be honest. I don't know what the fuck it is. You what, do. What You've is seen it. You've seen it. I probably have, but I can't put the yeah, name, yeah. like the label with what it is. So. You want to tell me? I call it a skip row. So lay down. <laughs> yeah, lay, lay down. Yeah, lay, lay down on a bench, and you're gonna pull a barbell, just like you would in a in a in a barbell row. Oh, but you're laying okay. down on a bench. All right. And cool. ideally, gotcha. ideally, the bar. It, it, there's a couple different setups for the bar, right? In my gym, we don't have cool bars for that, so I got to use a straight barbell, and I don't get the fullest range of motion I would absolutely like. But you do know, like the, how they make some of those bars with like the the what do you call the divot or the yeah the view or something taken out of it so you can actually uh pull back farther without the bar touching the the your chest or or the uh the pad or you've probably seen some of those uh i can't remember who makes one maybe it's prime where it's just the handles and then um there's like basically no bar connecting it's like the handles i'm trying to show with my hands and it, it, it like makes like a big imagine like a square with like the top part cut out so the weight's just hanging yeah. down here yeah so you're able to get the fullest range of motion yeah yeah i got you so anyway it's it's my favorite actually it's one of my favorite back exercises for sure you can't cheat that one you know what i mean it, it's a hard exercise to cheat they have i think it's getting to be more popular now too um 
maybe it's because it's kind of like a throwback thing, but I've seen gyms getting the seal row bench that, you know, it's, it's like a standard bench, but it's higher, you know, so that you have more, more clearance underneath. And then I've also seen like a plate load or excuse me, a selectorized machine too. That was like a seal row machine that was brand new. I don't know what company made it, but I I saw a client reason using that recently. I was pretty impressed. Let's argue whether it's more, cause he he asked, it looks like it's more effective than a, than a barbell row. My, opinion on that would i would i would say no the reason i would say no not that it's not effective not that it's not good a good exercise but more effective i would argue no because it is removing a lot of the stabilization of the erectors and they take up a pretty good amount of space in your overall back musculature here's where i would think now I don't have one. I mean, I do have access to them at, at, at different gyms, Iron Temple, stuff like that. But I, as an example, I don't have one at Titan. That's where I train in, in this place up here in West Palm. I don't have access to one. If I did, much like I would use it, much like I use a supported T-bar. And that would be, there's two main things I would do. If my lower back is bothering me, because I do have a history of chronic lower back issues, but I'm good now. So I have a lot of history with that exercise because I didn't have to deal with back pain. and I could still row relatively heavy, which... It tends to crush your ability to breathe. And I have argued that it's kind of like mild CPR. It has to somehow impact that pressure on your sternum on a sport of T-bar. I know it's not the same exercise. It has to somehow maybe impact a heart, your heart in some way while you're trying to breathe heavy and there's a lot of fucking weight on there. But anyway, it's hard to breathe, isn't it? It is very, it's crushing of the yeah. sternum. And I just feel like, like it's, this is what CPR would feel like. And if CPR gets to my heart and it's trying to continue to pump and cir- <laughs> keep blood circulating while I'm on the verge of death, yeah. then I don't know if this is a good idea. But where I would use it, where I like to use, where I would use the zeros, where I use the supported T-bar, that is to kind of pre-exhaust prior to, to a regular barbell where you are using your erectors for stabilization that way to me again coming from an age uh situation uh, and and a lower back vulnerability situation for years i would rather fatigue my entire back musculature minus the erectors then go in with fresh erectors to be able to kind of push i would consider the barbell row much more of a compound movement even though they're both compound movements than a seal row so that to me would be almost like a pre-fatigue to go in and then my erectors are fresh and I can continue to continue to push it a little higher. Again, not saying it's not an effective exercise, but I would put barbell row quite a bit higher uh, in overall back development than I would a seal row. But that, that's if I have to pick between those two. Shoot me down, Andrew. Come on, throw it at me. And, uh, seriously, yeah. because I'll, I mean, yeah, it, you I know, mean, you're just Yeah, you're just completely wrong, Skiff. No, I'm, <laughs> you I'm have to, you have to say why, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's the lag, okay? Because <laughs> I don't want to say something and then have you get, you know, like we're talking over each other. But anyway, all right, I'm going to say that I'm going to go against you. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm going to say uh, I have a different opinion in the sense that it's more effective because of the range of motion that I can get with a seal row versus a barbell row. Hmm. And being on that other end of 35 where I do not like to load my back in those unsafe positions, A, I'm either too scared to do anything effective in terms of a barbell row, or B, um, 
I do it and I get hurt and then I'm not doing any type of row for three or four weeks of that nature. Right. So to me, the, the seal rows are much more effective. But again, like we also disagree on the T-bar row, whereas I really love the chest supported T-bar row. Um, I think I might just be a better breather than you, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> that may be. Now, I will say this. It, this is a little bit, I don't want to make it look like I'm backpedaling, but the old school Icarian supported T-bar T bar is more upright. The newer ones hmm. they make are too, they're not inclined enough, and that is what is crushing on the sternum. When you're more upright, like the old school Icarian ones that are like 30 or 40 years old, that's not crushing into your sternum. But the newer ones they make over the last 20 years or so are much, they're not as high of an incline. They're lower, and that just crushes. It just makes it so difficult. The other per, the other thing is I'm probably rolling with more weight than Andrew. Next question. <laughs> before, he gets to, before he gets to the last. Real quick, next, next question. question. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say what Andrew said, too. I was going to side with that, that like I can possibly do more with a chest supported row without having to worry about my lower back. But that, that to me is almost getting into the, our, our original conversation, you know, about free weights versus machines. So, um, true. What's what's this here? Okay. Here's here's something really important question we have here Uh, from Lucas. Uh, He says, uh, good debate. It's time to hear from you and the guys. Which utensil do you use for eating your meals, fork <laughs> or spoon? And uh, additionally to that, uh, do you use plates or bowls? Uh, do you go? Do you uh, do you have a favorite set uh, that you take with you when traveling? That's a good question. We need like to that. know. I need to know these things about you guys. It, I can you, say this right you want out me of the to gates. Start this one off because I'm. On my travels right now. Yes. What are you there eating you out of Take Andrew? It. Run with it. Okay, so I brought one uh, plastic Tupperware container with the meals <laughs> that I had with me for the day of travel on Thursday. What I do is I put my food in Ziploc bags, right? And then I just use one container when it's time to eat. I pull it out and I eat from that. But anyway, we didn't pack more than that in terms of containers. So basically, I make a meal, I eat it, I put it on the floor so the dog who's with us can clean it up for me. I go to the sink, I put a little water in there and maybe I half-ass wash it. And then I fill it up for my next meal for two or three hours later. So I've, in, in terms of utensils, um, I've been alternating between fork and spoon, favoring the spoon. So, and it's plastic. <laughs> Unless it is soup. And my kids take after me for this one too, which is kind of cool that I've, you know, impacted them positively in some way during their, <laughs> their lives so far. But unless it's soup, I refuse to use a, a spoon. Really? I refuse. Yeah, I, that's the only time I use a spoon. I will eat, and this is what they, they do now, too. I eat ice cream with a fork, and oh I God. will not eat it with a spoon. It drives me cereal, obviously. Why? So soup or it, You know, I don't know. You can't dig into ice cream with a spoon. It just doesn't. You, but you can dig in with a fork, uh, and you can kind of scoop it out and get yeah, you can. I am a I am a fork guy. I will eat rice. With, and it's funny that you said the bowl on the plate. I hate bowls. <laughs> Unless again, it's soup or something. If I have even like a, like if you're gonna go get spaghetti or you're gonna get some kind of pasta, it's I'm never putting that shit in a bowl. And and I can look at it and go, okay, it's contained there. It might be easier. No, I have to. You know how you shove your food around to try to pick it up with a fork. I would rather do that on a plate with a fork. That's me. It is what it is. Bash me. Oh my god. How do you get to the when you get to the bottom of the ice cream? 
How do you how do you get like the yeah. last? Oh, you got to tip the okay. Yeah, and then you take the fork and you scrape yeah, it sideways just... in there as it runs down into your mouth. It's done. It's a perfect setup. Oh, I missed our comments. I missed. I, I, I don't ever want to hear those words. I don't ever want to hear those words coming from your mouth again. <laughs> I missed our comments. Scott Stevenson. He had a. He said he prefers the walrus row. That's a very. Scott's not a dad, but that was a dad joke, Scott. He's a dog dad. Um, I used to. I'm, I'm thinking back. I used to have a mixing bowl. It was a red mixing bowl that a lot of my food would go into. And after having watched like Ronnie Coleman, I'd get those grits packages and I'd empty those things out in there and I'd take about a dozen cooked eggs and I'd dump them in that mixing bowl and I'd take a big spoon. Not just, I don't, I don't, and I still use the big spoons today. I don't use the regular size spoon, which Jimmy with us, he had a point. He said uh, he uses the small spoon to make his meals last longer. Um, and he says Tupperware because he's, he's lazy. So, but uh, uh I would take the big spoon and then I take those eggs, maybe a slice of like the fat free cheese or something in the off season and just mix it all up and then just eat that for like the next 45 minutes. Cause it weighed like, you know, eight pounds of combined uh, grits and eggs. Can we talk about that meal that Ronnie Coleman ate for breakfast every day during prep, which had like <laughs> 200 grams of carbs, yeah. 40 mm-hmm. grams of fat. 100 grams of protein and it was like it was like a saucer bowl or a mixing bowl yeah and then like actually i just want to talk about his diet in general like (laughs) he went out to eat twice a day at like black eyed peas and outback steakhouse and he had cornbread yeah and like i just want to run into chad nichols and be like hey was that actually his diet or were you feeding him up for that weekend that you guys were filming because i'm like sitting here as like a bodybuilder i'm like his off-season diet is like, or I mean, his his pre-contest diet is dirtier than my my off-season. Like, how's he get to do this? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, by the way, Chase Irons is with you, Skip. He says uh, in the off-season, the seal row uh, suffocates him. Uh, yep. He says my gut suffocates me, and uh, it's probably because we both have enlarged hearts and a very very small <laughs> cavity, chest cavity. And Larry oh, says, uh, "You what?" Um, no, go ahead. I, original Icarian, yes. Yeah, Larry has the original Icarian rowing horse at my gym, yeah. and it's great for being able to row heavy without straining my low back and knees. Yeah, is that is that the one you were talking about? Yeah, if it's Icarian, I'm pretty well. He says horse. I don't know what he means by that, um, unless that was an autocorrect and it meant it was supposed to say something else. Unless maybe the, yeah, that's the a name. term that It'd I be a not good heard name. Yeah. The well, rowing I think, horse. Yeah. I think because you mount it like a horse. You mount the could, seal row machine like a horse. It could be, and I don't ever want to hear you say that again either. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, what else Touché. do we have going on here? There was some other good <laughs> stuff here. Um, if, let's see. Wait, I had some stuff from Patreon, so I should probably take those. Um, a lot of people appreciated your dad advice, by the way, Skip. There was a lot of people who said thank you. Oh, yeah? For that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, oh, another off-topic one. We'll go back to that. Jim McDonald, this is the one I was looking for. He says, uh, my question was triggered by the discussion last week about acne after a cycle. The consensus was it was likely due to abrupt hormone changes. This is actually why I titrate down 
at the end of a cycle. It seems to me that titrating down is generally shat. <laughs> generally shat on. What do you guys think? It's a past tense of shit. Very well. That was very good. Yeah. Very yeah, very good syntax there. I like that. Well done. Uh titrate out. Hmm. Here's the thing that I, I don't think it's a bad idea. Um but I've always been a proponent of the fact that if you're using long esters, they do I know it's very, very old school, I get it, but they self-taper. I mean, your sip of nature and your EQs, you know, even Deca, things like mm-hmm. they just kind of self-taper and you know, you're you're likely far more likely than not to come back online without having to taper down shorter shorter esters different story uh that sort of thing but i will say this i think coming going up when your hormones go up abruptly or come down abruptly yes you you run a higher chance of of more breaking out and that sort of thing but i still think without the abrupt rise i think the rise in general and the drop in general because everyone has different sensitivity levels to to shifting or altering hormone levels. I still think you can break out. Um, so titrate, titrating down may help, but don't be surprised if if you do titrate down or even titrate up for that matter, that you you may still break out. If let's put it this way, if you are prone to breaking out, pretty much any increase or decrease, whether abrupt or not, puts you in a situation where that is where you're most likely to have breakout concerns versus stable levels high or stable levels low. Yeah. It used to be people pyramided their cycles in general, you know, they, they mm-hmm. would start low and then go up and come back down. And I, I think that's what is shat upon nowadays. Isn't, is that what, he, is that what you guys think he means by that? Because a lot of people no, are I like, nah, you don't need to pyramid anymore. I took it as the tapering back down at the end of the cycle that he was saying that people were shitting on. Yeah. And I do, and I do hear that too. And I think a lot of that comes from coaches will want their athletes to go off the drugs because either they're Mm. planning out their year and they're planning out every athlete wants to take more drugs usually. Right. Or they want to extend cycles usually, but I think good competent coaches are keeping health in the forefront and they're like, okay, dude, we did this contest prep cycle. And then I let you blast for six weeks after your contest and yeah we made some progress but let's not get too greedy with the progress at the expense of long-term health mm-hmm. so rather than tapering off the drugs they're like let's go off now let's get you down to trt let's start a nice health phase for 10 weeks or so and then we'll get back to blasting again so i do i think i don't know if it's so much as shit on as it's more like oh my athletes have been on this this cycle for this long like i really need to get them off from a competency and a, and a health you know awareness uh, standpoint yeah let me yeah. throw one thing in there, and and I think this plays a part. I think you guys will agree. Maybe not, but I think these days. Okay, it's it's kind of an antiquated um, system to taper down. I think we can all agree on that. But when that was happening, most people weren't transitioning to TRT dosages. They were tra- they were transitioning off. So these days, where when you transition off cycle, I think more often than not, people are transitioning to uh, TRT dosages. That's why I don't think it's as imp- it, nowhere near as important to titrate or to come down and kind of decrease those levels. And and it's even better to let them self taper because you're not coming all the way down to where your HTPA has to kick back in. You're coming back down to TRT True. dosage. So it's already self-tapering uh, any long esters that you have, and then you're not dropping into the basement. You're dropping to roughly, you know, I'm guessing, assuming that most people are right around 1,000 um, just because I, 
I think that TRT is wasted unless you're at 1099. <laughs> but that's just me. Blood blood levels, not milligrams, for the record. <laughs> um, oh, what's this one? Another off topic. Which mild inconvenience would you inflict on your arch nemesis for the rest of their <laughs> lives? Trend cough and night sweats, even if they're natural. One nostril always being clogged. Every time they go poop, it's an emergency. <laughs> every traffic light is every traffic light is red when they get there, or earbuds slash headphones fall off or speaker cuts out every time they begin their working sets. Ooh. Those are some brutal. I like ones. this. That, that's a very good <laughs> sense of humor. I this already great. like Jonathan. That's yeah. damn good. This is great. I'll try to leave all this of those up here. are really good. Yeah, they are. Hmm, which here. one do I? We have to pick one, right? Whew. Yeah. I'm going to go with the one that's most annoying to me or was until I finally fixed my earbud situation. And it, <laughs> I would throw my shit when I had wires. I would throw a tantrum like a fucking child in the gym, like kicking the air, like to the point where you almost like feel like you're going to fall over. You're so mad. It yeah. was the most pathetic display. So I would say that's probably the red light one is damn close, though. That's the, the trend sweats. That one's brutal. <laughs> that one, that one's brutal. But that red light thing is there too. If you're in a hurry, I'm going with earbuds. What do you guys do? I'm going nostrils. Mm. Like, and I'm going from this standpoint. How fucking annoying is it when you're trying to sleep and you can't breathe out of your nose? Like, Dude. for me, like, I put a premium on sleep. All that other stuff, trend sweats. Shit, I'll deal with that now. Like, you know, like that's not a problem for me. <laughs> Uh, right, right. What else? The headphones, okay. Yeah, I can see how that'd be annoying, especially in prep when you want your headphones on to do your cardio. Uh, I'm down in Orlando right now. Every traffic light is red as it is. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm going to go with – I put such a premium on sleep, which is, you know, and which is why I look like trash right now. I've had, like, three hours of sleep the last four nights in a row. But uh, the one-nose clog thing, that, that drives me nuts where – you, when you can't sleep at night and you're just you're trying to you know blow it out, you're doing the neti pot, it's not working. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that one, dude. That one's my life. I have a terribly deviated septum, and I live like I've got nasal spray for one of my nostrils doesn't work right, and so then you get hay fever, and when you have a constricted airway, it's like just little tiny space, and then it gets worse because you get allergies. It's 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 yeah. yeah. I would not wish wish that on my worst enemy. Uh, but I think we've all dealt with all these. I'll just, uh, you know, any of them, any of these things would really suck. Yeah. You know what I mean? For the record, so I don't get the night sweats. The I never have. No, never have? Never? I, not no. once? You've never got night sweats? No. No. I honestly, no, the, the cough. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. The cough. Don't even get you me know, started. When I, and, when, I, when I read the bathroom one again, you know, every time it's an emergency, that one <laughs> no, that's pretty more, bad. Like, actually, you know what? That one's pretty bad. Like, like any of those other things, like you're not going to make a disaster on yourself if you don't get to where you need to go, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can um, plan ahead if you had to. Yeah. yeah don't take extra time. time. I already, I already you, deal with that. If I go into Whole Foods and I got to take shit, it's all I can do to get to the bathroom. It, it's horrible. Yo, it's horrible. It's like, so, it's like I have IBS or something. Well, I, so I've got a friend that's like, he's like a germaphobe, right? 
And but he will use the bat, the public restrooms to go number two. But when he goes in there, he brings plastic bags to to, to step on. He takes his pants fully off and folds them and hangs them on the door. Takes his underwear off, folds it, puts it on the door, because he does not want any part of his pants to touch the floor and then walk out of there. And I'm like, dude, you're getting naked in a public restroom. You're telling me like you think that's more sanitary. Then whatever's on the ground touching the scuff, yeah, that's exactly what he's telling us. This stuff, we're like, we and Rachel look at each other like, what the fuck? So yeah, I kind of do that, and I take pictures of it. I take pictures (laughs) of my short hanging on the coat hanger on the back of the door, and I'll tell you why: because people, guys, are fucking horrible, and they can't get their fucking piss in the toilet. So there's piss on the floor, and it grosses me out. And I don't want my shorts because I live in in Florida. But even when I live in Colorado, I wore shorts. Yeah, not gonna touch that piss. It it's I'm with your buddy on this one. So you and Rachel can make fun of me when you get off so, when we get done with the podcast. Yeah, but so <laughs> why, why can't you just like arrange your shorts like like fold them up over your knees and pull them down at the same time? If you get what I'm saying. No, no, no. I know what you. And you know what? I wear. I'm an old guy. I wear old guy cargo Ralph Lauren. <laughs> it's not gonna work. So then if I have them up too high, I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna piss on myself or piss on. My, I don't know. I just don't do that. I hang them up. There's no way that i will literally damn near clean the floor but once you clean it you're just wiping up the piss there's still like piss stuff there so i do not want my shorts touching any my ass i don't care sometimes i'll just go in and i just i piss in the sink (laughs) that way there's no issue at all i'm kidding i'm just kidding but still it would be cleaner (laughs) i remember dave palumbo talked about on his podcast this is years ago he said when i go in the bathroom uh, what did he say? He said, I wash my hands before I pee because yep. my hands are, they have germs on them and I don't, I feel like my, my dick's been in my pants, so it's clean <laughs> and I don't want to get the germs yeah. from outside onto it when I touch it to pee. He's like, so I wash my hands first and then I'm good. And my dick was already clean. So I don't have to wash my hands when I leave. That's what well, <laughs> that was, you said you ever, that. You ever think, <laughs> you ever think of this though? So you go into a bathroom stall, like you, you do your business you're touching stuff as you go out to the wash your hands. Yes. Right? Yeah. But then the next person goes in there and they're touching stuff and then they touch themselves. Like, yeah. isn't that how you transfer bacteria? And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying there? Like there's that intermittent. Yeah. Yes. You're not bringing it outside of the bathroom, but the exchange is happening from guy to guy or girl to girl as they do their business from the stall. To, you know, it. like I'm always like, there's got to be some system around that where, like either using your foot to open doors or I don't know, like maybe I think too much into it. Normally I don't care, but I'm not taking my pants off in a public restroom ever. <laughs> maybe that's how I got crabs that time. I still <laughs> yeah. can't explain how that. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. All right. You got another one here from Mina. And this is from Patreon. He says, um, this was he says four because uh, Nate was going to join us tonight, but he had a guest posing yesterday. By the way, I saw he looked fantastic. Yeah. So freaking shout out to him getting to do a guest posing too. That's awesome. Uh, Mina says um, since you four have been coaching for quite a while, uh, how would you say each of you have progressed as coaches? Any ideal ideologies uh, you've adopted or left behind? Any times? you look back and wish you had done something a little different. He also says, fun question. 
F. Mary Kill Sushi Pasta Pizza. So we'll put that one on hold for a moment and deal with the other question first. Gosh, what comes to mind off the top? Oh, you know what? Off the top. Go ahead, because I'm thinking. I'm like, hmm. I got one thing because I don't really think my philosophies have changed a lot because I, I'm not really dogmatic or my way the highway. You know, it's always like I want to see what a client's doing and then offer my two cents and how I can shore up things. So it's not like, you know, people are like, oh, you're a high carb coach, you're a high fat coach, and I've changed my philosophy in that way. That no, not at all. I think I think all of us coaches are pretty open to continuing to learn or continuing to go with what the athlete um or, or, or seeing what works with that athlete and doing more of it and doing less of the things that don't work but i will say that i used to always get accused or i guess i get the questions of you know they send a check in i send a response and it's a very quick response because everything's great and there's nothing to change and i get a are you mad at me coach yeah. or you know uh, did I did I upset you? Am I not doing my check-ins properly? And then of course I'm like, no, everything's good, you know. Or so for me, it's like what I say. Please just take it at face value. Like like I'll say if like, hey, something's wrong. But but anyway, what I was gonna say, and I think I told you guys about the other day, is I started using the Loom software, which allows hmm. you to record yourself while you're looking at updates and you know giving feedback as you're typing or as you're going over their progress pictures. And I think that helped people out because as soon as I started doing that, a lot of clients were like, oh, my God, this is the best check-in response ever. Like, thank you for using this, et cetera, et cetera, because I think it gave them a little bit more of a personal edge. Uh, That's cool. And since then, I haven't had anyone saying, hey, coach, like, you know, all you said was yes. Like, is there anything wrong? You know, is, is are you upset with me? You know, and I, it, it eliminates all those like, hey, sometimes yes just means yes. Like, you know, like. Should I add 200 grams of carbs today? Yes, you know, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I would say that's one thing that I that I've done that has helped. I think change, I guess, clients' perception of my mindset with how I'm dealing with them. I think mine is similar. I was thinking the same thing in the sense that my philosophies and the things that I do probably haven't changed. I'm sure they've evolved in some, but there's nothing major that stands out. But I am far more and this is age this isn't just i think with training but i become more compassionate and understanding and i have um i build better relationships and better uh i i don't want to say i go out of my way but i work to build a rapport with my clients not because just because of business and it's good business but because i genuinely give a shit i think early on I was very matter of fact. I mean, you guys could go back to the boards. I was very matter of fact. I was very mm -hmm. blunt. Didn't have time for a lot of what I what I considered to be kind of extra bullshit. And that kind of you know gave me that that label of kind of being insensitive and cold and that sort of thing. I think that I as I've aged, I um, I think that has kind of disappeared. Um, I've gained you know I've gained more cats less kids, things like that. And it's just kind of, I think as I age, it just kind of changed me a little bit. So coming back to what you were saying, as far as the short comments, here's where it gets me. My dad was in town last week. So I was not ripping through client work, but I was moving through and wasn't being as talkative. And I did get a couple people who did say, um, yeah, you, you just, you, is everything okay? You know, because when you have that rapport and then all of a sudden it shifts a little bit and you're not as talkative, then it can 
it can stand out, uh, which I actually pride myself on the fact that I think it is important for, for trainers. He said, here's, here's, here's the bitch. Back then when I did that, there weren't a lot of on, online trainers. There, the, the C wasn't very big. There, it wasn't this huge, hugely competitive thing where everybody was a trainer. So I have said over the years, and you guys, I think you guys heard me say this for, for a very long time, it's not just about the progress. A lot of people are good at what they do, online trainers, uh, and they can get progressing. So the little things are going to matter. The relationships that you have and the rapport that you build with your clients from a business standpoint is it can be big. That can play into your client retention, uh, that sort of thing. Um, those little things matter. And I think compassion, I think I'm a little bit more understanding if something happens to where it directly impacts their progress versus just this is all that matters because I have come to realize over years that <laughs> this isn't all that matters. There are plenty of other far more important things than, um, you know, some of the things that, that involve us in this first, our first world problems when it comes to bodybuilding and everything else, which is not to say that it's not important because that's not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is I do have a better perspective on it now these days. And I'm more understanding uh, when a client has issues and things that do come up. And I want to know those situations because I think as a trainer, it helps us to understand our clients better and to know the struggles and the things they're dealing with. So it's not just, Oh, well, I fucked off. There's, there's something legitimate behind it. If you don't have that rapport, then you're you're less likely to get your clients to be more open with you and trust you enough to tell you those things that they may not want to tell most people confide in you in a sense trust you yeah yeah i thought about this the other day um but what I, I maybe not what i do different but in evolution i would say that i have a lot more confidence in getting people in shape then I'm going to go back to like when I first started coaching, you know, like the first person you have that you get into shape for a contest. It's like, it's, it's exciting. You know, you're like, Oh my God, I actually did it. It's, it's like a freaking rush to be able to get somebody there. And, and I feel like I had a formula and obviously the formula is different for everybody, but there were pieces of the formula that were going to be the same in, in each kind of like Dave Polsonella has the six foods that work. You know, I had a, I would say that when I first started, I had a more rigid idea of what it took to get in shape, whereas now I can be more flexible with it. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that if somebody already has kind of a functioning diet, uh, it, you know, and it's 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 not like like the the, the structure of it, the, the timing of their meals is good. I might not change too much. Like we might be able to just go in and say, okay, I'm going to change some portions and maybe a couple food choices, but maybe this piece right here, maybe that's not ideal, but we'll deal with that later. Cause if we change these other things and we change these portions and you know, we'll be able to get some fat loss. Cause I don't need to have it all perfect right away. And it might be a nice way to let them transition in versus I think when I first started, it was like, this is the way it has to be, you know, these meals Chicken have rice, to, right? exactly, you know, right. or sweet potato, you know, olive oil, uh, you know, very specific yeah. things. And now I do think that like, no, I'm, I'm a lot more flexible than I was, you know, back then. Yeah. Uh, we got anything else? I will. Can I add one thing? Of if course. I one thing also about like the client rapport and check-ins, because I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I actually wanted because Nate sent me his check-ins and his check-ins, I know I blow, you know, smoke up his ass a lot, but he is like the best client. Like, yeah. like his pictures, if you say, hey, 
you know, like years ago, if I'm like, hey, let me make sure you get your feet in your photos. Every single time after that sense, his whole body has been perfectly in the middle of the photo, eight feet away, light on him. So I didn't have to say it again and again. And my point was saying this is that, and I don't know how you guys feel about this or if you see it too, but when somebody, when, when, when someone sends you your check-in pictures and they want to be a bodybuilder and you give them a critique, like maybe something as simple in their side chest is you need to turn your back shoulder to the camera more so you look wider up top, right? You say it once and then you say it again, right? Maybe the next time because they didn't do it. And you're literally like writing it on their photos with a photo editor, right? So there's no way they're missing it and you're writing it in their check-in. And then they don't do it again the third time. Now for me, I assume that you just don't care enough to take it as seriously as I think you should take it seriously. So I'm just going to stop like saying it, you know yeah. what I mean? And so I guess what I'm saying here is as a client – Make sure that, you know, like if you're getting feedback or ask for feedback from your coach about your posing or about how the quality of your check-ins are or, you know, how your rapport is with them. Like, because there's nothing wrong with like someone saying, hey, coach, like, can you give me a little more? Like, can you let me know generally how you feel I'm doing? That yeah. kind of thing, which I can say that's I guess what I'm what I'm bringing it around to is that's what I was guilty of was doing the X and O's, but not necessarily covering, you know, all that extra stuff of like, well, generally the program's going really well. You know, we're four months in, yeah. you know, you put on five pounds, you know what I mean? Like not given an yeah. overall, you know, I guess uh, recap of, of what's been going on so far and maybe the future plans, that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess I just wanted to touch on how both coaches and clients can be better with each other and get more out of each other. That's a good point. All right. We got, I got one more here. Uh, this is uh, one of the guys too who had commented on your your take, Skip, uh, when we were talking about uh, being a dad and being a bodybuilder. He says, "I'm a new dad. Thanks for reading my question on the show." Oh, uh, he says uh, also, Skip for answering the question. So that was uh, that was him who actually asked this one. He says, um, "Do you guys have any clients that observe Ramadan? Ramadan just started. I think we're two days in now." If so, how do you guys set up their training and diets? FYI, during Ramadan, people abstain from eating food and drinking water from sunrise to sunset. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I have four or five every year. Um, and I've been fortunate enough that probably three of them I've had for three or four years. So it, it with those clients that I have year after year, because we have a system, it's not much of a change. We, you know, I already know what the, I know 80% of what needs to be done. I go back and see what we did with the structure for the timing and everything the year before. I asked them if this schedule is still doable for the timing of meals stuff, because every, every person is still individual. I mean, they have those same parameters around um, sun up to sundown, but they have people, each individual deals with that time differently when they sleep, when they work, things like that. Um, also, it matters if your client is, say, as an example, in the United States versus in the Middle East, because in the Middle East, that population is far more um, accommodating, not accommodating, but it's different over there. Like they will change the hours for businesses and, and things of that nature yeah. that will alter the schedule for people who live over there much more so obviously than than in the united states so it just it's an individual type thing um sometimes you know you can only get three or four meals in and other people will be able to get five and, and a lot of times 
not a lot of times, sometimes it may even be the same amount of meals, maybe minus one, but the timing around that just changes to where, when they train, you know, what time they train, what time they get up, what time they go to bed, all that changes a little bit. So there aren't any, you know, I don't know if there's any real specifics that I can give of it because there's so many differences from person to person, but I have, I mean, I've had clients observe Ramadan, even here, I will get people at the gym who will ask me about it. I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, I've, I've dealt with that for quite a while. So uh, I have quite a bit of experience in that, but probably roughly only five. I have a handful every year, I think, give or take. I I used to tend to use the time as, uh, you know, let's, I'm not saying ideally, but like let's say someone's having digestive issues, it might be a time, or like maybe insulin sensitivity or something. I take that as a time to maybe pull a meal back because um, they do have a shorter window usually because, as Skip pointed yeah. out, in the United States, we're not completely changing you know, our sleep-wake cycles or our business days um, to adjust to a religious calendar. We, we kind of have things set in stone over here. Uh, but Well, we would yeah, if it know, was Christian, uh, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I don't even know that. Christian isn't cool anymore. If you if you notice like anything, <laughs> right, I, right. I, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go into it, but um, that's that's not our podcast, right? But um, <laughs> my point is is that you know I, I'm, I'll probably pull them back to four meals a day, um, and you know we'll probably we might try to do larger meals, but we might just do four of their favorite meals and just say, hey, you're gonna be taking in a thousand or so less calories a day for the period of Ramadan, and let's focus on getting digestion better because. It's rare that someone's digestion doesn't improve when you pull a few meals out, you know, just given the digestive yeah. tract a little bit of a break from the constant protein, constant motility, all the other issues. Um, you know, so we might use it as a time to try to clean up digestive issues. I, I don't regularly have people um, observing Ramadan. I think like this year, I think I have one. And I think in years past, the most I've ever had was like three at the same time. It's not ideal for someone to be prepping for a bodybuilding show. And I think I did tell someone that I thought it would be better if we started their prep after Ramadan, just because I didn't think that the show that they wanted to do. I know Rami did it one year. It, it just wouldn't have, you know, Hassan, have did, this, genetics. It just, Hassan did this past year, remember? He did, it, it, that's right. Hassan. Yeah, it was like right after that he did the uh, Indiana. In, yeah, Indy Pro. Yeah. 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 Which was actually his best look of the year, honestly. You think so? I thought he looked better, like a little later. Uh, I thought, I thought he started tightening it up more. Uh, I can't remember though. I just uh, remember wanting to see him leaner at that show. That's all I remember. But he never got. Yeah, no, he I didn't. I saw him in person in Tampa, <laughs> and and I honestly, and I'm not knocking his work ethic because I don't think it's a lack of effort or it's a lack of. It was, I think it's a kind of the same thing that Akeem had to go through over those years, where his skin yeah. just had to get thinner and thinner. I don't think because you know you hear Palumbo on a podcast talking about Akeem, fish and 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 and, uh, and spinach for six meals a day for month you know weeks on end double cardio sessions so yeah. it's not a question of the guy not doing the work and I think it's the same thing with uh, Hassan I just yeah. think he's got that thicker skin that just you know it just holds that water or something right in there that he doesn't get the same kind of conditioning effect that the other guys do yeah but but anyway though you're saying not prepping yeah I just think it. Yeah, like it's not a great – I think it's a great time when you're doing a diet reset, you know, to try to plan it in um, if you are observing Ramadan because y- you don't want to keep someone up all night. And Well, I know Skip likes to stay up all night, but I don't think you want to completely flip-flop someone's circadian or someone's yeah. you know sleep-wake cycle. 
just to try to get meals in. I, I want to go for sleep over, you know, getting that sixth meal in just to try check it off the box. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I was just uh, talking with one of the guys I work with, Hamza, uh, the other the other day. We we talked. I think Thursday or so. It was it was like a couple days before Ramadan was going to start. And with with him, you know, here's my thought. Everybody kind of has their own approach. And I think for me as a coach, I need to respect whatever they want to do. You know, for Hamza, to him, he said uh, his 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 approach is that he feels like it would be kind of like trying to cheat the system if he were to stay up and eat all his meals. He feels that he, what he needs to do is fast, is to do the do it the way he's supposed to do, and that's his choice for his religion. You know, and I'm like, okay, you can't argue that. You can't tell a guy like, no, no bro, you need to stay up all night and eat every two hours yeah. and sleep during. In mm-hmm. fact, he said some people will even say like. You're not supposed to sleep late because some people will sleep later into the day to try to kill some hours. And he was like, no, nah, man, if you're going to do it right, you know, you're supposed to get up earlier. He was like, that said, I still yeah. sleep to noon because that's when he gets up anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. But he, he didn't change his lifestyle, though. He, yeah, he, exactly. he adopted his lifestyle to his, his his religious constraints, but he didn't try to fudge or curve the corners a little bit. Right, he, right. Gotcha. Yeah. So I respect so, that. You know, it's like all I can do is say, okay, you know, so be it. I will say, or I'll get back to that. Um, and then I've had, I had a, a guy that I worked with who worked at a hospital and he was on a night shift. So for him, it was like just business as usual, pretty much. Um, yeah. And then I have had a couple guys that have eaten through the night. You know, they're like, that's what they wanted to do. And that was their commitment. They're like, hey, that's my commitment that I, I take this seriously, but I also take bodybuilding seriously. And it's like, okay, so it's a perspective thing. Um but I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be a perfect time for bodybuilding. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's kind of like just the constraints. You know, it couldn't be like, hey, I'm going to do a world trip where I visit one country every day or every week, you know, and I also want to do competitive bodybuilding. It's like, well, you got to pick your you got to pick what you want to do. And if you want to do, uh, you know, your religious thing with with Ramadan, then that's maybe the commitment well, you can't expect to do that and bodybuilding 110 percent at the same time is my thought can i offer a different perspective on that actually sure in this in the, in the other way of someone that takes their religion that seriously and right. follows all the rules like i'm gonna assume that they're a quality person in the sense that like they're not gonna cut corners or cheat dieting or training or any of the other like they're a serious person okay. so i'm gonna think it's a wash in the end in a sense that it doesn't make a difference really <laughs> in terms of in, in terms of like a negative effect for them you yeah. know what i mean because yeah. if they're observing because how many people do you know that are really really fundamentally religious and follow i, I think it's a dying it's a thing of the past in a sense right i mean yeah, yeah. like i don't i don't observe like like my parents did. And I don't think my parents observed like their parents did and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So my point being is that if someone is taking it that seriously, I'm going to assume they're a serious person and they're following all the other tenets of their life and, and, and playing those to the max as well. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, understand we, too, that the United States obviously is different than, um, you know, Doha yeah. or places where, where I have clients that, you know, there will be prayer at specific times, every day and it doesn't so it is it is certainly different in different areas and because we deal with clients globally and different cultures um i i know i'll stand and this is not to imply scott uh, or andrew that you feel any differently i just want to be very clear that in their mind that conviction 
is one month out of 12 that is a sacrifice that they're willing to make yep. most of them don't even give it like a second thought and i think too their belief really in you know their religion really kind of tells them that that they won't be consequenced for it that they will benefit for it so even though they may be you know, losing out from what we would see from, you know, like, oh, you can't prep or you're not going to be 100 percent or something like that. They they don't view it that way that when they come back and it could be argued too, they're going to be fresh. They're not going to be overtrained. Yeah. They're going to if they have to decrease their you know caloric intake a little bit, their system will be running more efficiently and they'll come out of the gates and they're going to be very motivated to get back at it and start killing it as well. So I do. I, I, I like what you said as far as it being a wash. I don't think the big picture, I don't think they lose anything. And even if they did their commitment and their conviction to their religion is more important at that time. And, and I respect that I being an atheist, don't look at things that way, but I respect the fact that that is important to someone. And from a business standpoint, I'd be a complete ass clown to not be supportive of that. Yeah. I, I, I will say this. One of the things that we learned about Hamza last year was we did a, a, a longer off season for him and we pushed his body weight up. He did really well. Um, and then he, um, you know, went into Ramadan and he ate just how he wanted. Like he didn't check in for a month. And then we immediately started prep right after that, like immediately jumped in. And I could tell you that his body wasn't responding the way it had before. So for him as an individual, and I think it was like those long fasts, you know what I mean? Like his metabolism yeah. just wasn't kicking anymore. And I, I realized I was like, you know, it's, it's a learning lesson. I mean, we still got him into good shape, but it's like, you know, for the shows, but it, I mean, it was a grind at points. And one of the things we learned was like, okay, so we don't start prep right away after Ramadan either. We give you a little period to kind of get you back into your groove and get things firing. Like four weeks is like what I think he needs to, you know, really get back. And then, yeah, yeah, rebound, build the food up and then we can go, you know, so one thing you don't want to do as a trainer when you go into ramadan is you don't want to think you're funny and send a ramadan diet that has uh bacon in all five meals really bad joke yeah. did you do that no i thought it was thought it was hilarious <laughs> he thought he thought it was he thought it was funny because i knew he had a good sense of humor yeah. but all i'm saying is overall it's more likely to backfire yeah <laughs> than it is to work you got to really know your clients so that come back, comes back to rapport but don't do that one you know what I never thought of? Um, Hamza was telling me, he was like, when you're in a place where everybody observes Ramadan, he was like, it's you, it's really kind of not a friendly environment the first couple of days. He was like, there's a lot of fights. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm you, sure. I bet. You know, he's like, you get up in the morning, you don't have that smoke in your coffee, and then you get in your car. It's like, yeah, I just want to stay home for the first 48 hours. It'd kind of be like the purge. I'd just be like in my house. You know, yeah. <laughs> just you know though, I think they must, I bet a lot of them get healthier too, just the benefits of fasting for yeah. know, multiple days on end. I bet, you know, I, I, have you guys ever looked into the documentaries or the research on um, on cancer and these uh, fasting institutes? There, there's one in Russia where these people will fast for up to like 90 days on just water and vitamins huh. and people that are at like stage four cancer and it brings them back to like, it doesn't eradicate it, but it brings them back to like stage one. And so they go like nine months out of the year, go back home, cancer builds back up in their body. They go back to the clinic for three months, follow this plan. They lose a bunch of weight. They lose the cancer and, and they just kind of run through this cycle. Huh. And I mean, I, I just think of like, you know, if you had a month where you're not, where you, where you 
literally have to fast. You're not consuming things that are necessarily bad for you. Like the, the, it's almost like a health month, like a, like a revitalization month. I think for some of them though, you're not consuming things that are bad until the sun goes till, till a certain time at night. And then you just freaking tear it up. I think for some people, that's what's happening. I'm considering our bodybuilding clients that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, you know what I mean? That are, you know, high protein, you know, smart, smart nutrition. And then they're fasting. So they're eating less food overall. Like, I just think that they must be going through actually a really positive health transformation. Yeah. Um, And then one last point is that I look at the, the, the Ramadan thing almost as like, say a client that says, I don't want to use trend in this prep. So, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, then that's, yeah. that's, you it's made just, that choice and that's, that I respect that. That's a card that we're not going to play. Um, if you get what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we got guys. Um, Andrew, I hope you enjoy your next couple days down there in Orlando. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, we're going, uh, I think in 20 minutes or so, we're going to go get some sushi. This place we go to down here. Hell yeah. Uh, Soto sushi, I think it's called. It's really good though. Rachel's gonna get all freaking pumped up, jacked, dude. Okay, so I was hanging out with Dom Cardone, and he and when she comes out, he's like, "Jesus Christ, her shoulders are fucking massive." He's like, (laughs) "So then I'll 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 send the video to you guys later." But the video of her pumping up, yeah, there's like six striations like in her shoulder that are just like mind blowing, (laughs) and. We we actually got to make sure that her shoulders don't get any bigger because really they're going to be unbalanced. Oh yeah 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 like yeah they're going to be unbalanced soon. But, Dude, it's crazy yeah. how big girls are getting in bikini. Not not all of them, but the, like on the pro level, there's some muscle on those chicks. Yeah. It's not like it was even five years ago. Well, yeah. Well, so that's the other thing because like Dom was dating um a, a, one of the professional bikini girls who actually won the whole show. No and, kidding. Um, and I was and, and like, he's like getting so pumped up into it. Like I, and I, and I know that feeling too. Yeah. And I'm like watching him and I go, I'm like, I'm like, did you ever go to bikini or even see a bikini show before you started, yeah. started dating uh, your girlfriend? And he's like, nah, dude. He's like, I thought they were just like, like that. And men's physique were in like this class of like pussies. Like yeah. they don't train, they, you know, they don't eat like us. They don't do the same things we do. And he's like, I'm like, your opinions change though. Right. He's like, dude, he's like, they're intense. Like, they train as hard as us. Their diets, like he's like, my girlfriend hasn't eaten all week. Like, like she had to drop a few pounds for this show. He's like, she just didn't eat. Oh you god, like, I've never had to do that. Yeah, but yeah. but it, yeah. So I think yeah, the professional bikini levels, it's a whole nother animal out there. Yeah, it really is. I like it. I like the progression. I I'm much happier to see the way that it's progressing. But the bitches with every defin or every division, this is what happens. They start off small, figure start off small, oh you're too big, you're too big. And then the competitors kind of take over and they do what they want. And then they create another division that's smaller behind it. So I'm yeah. curious what's gonna come <laughs> next. They they already yeah. created wellness. They were like, Well, we're not gonna go smaller, we're gonna go yeah. a little bigger on the lower body, which was a great move because wellness to me is just the hottest division ever. But I want to see what they do next, not only with the female divisions, but with the male divisions. Where do you go? Snowmobile suits? <laughs> All right. Go to Team Skip. TeamSkip.com. You can reach out to Skip over there. Bodyberry.com. You can reach out to Andrew over there. Um, and uh, we're getting some crossover, by the way, Andrew. You said uh, you had some people that commented because you, you, of course, you're still part of the uh, Mountain Dog Diet website. And you guys yeah. do like a and a thing over there. You've got Nate over there, right? And you had some people that say yeah. that they, they liked to see both of the shows, huh? 
Yes, I did. And you know what? I'm an idiot because I was supposed to forward you a question, which oh, we'll shit. have to go over next week. We'll get it uh, next time. That I think would be. Yeah, we'll go over next time. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. But yeah, definitely check out more Andrew over there at uh, the Mountain Dog website. Uh, go to our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Go to uh, supplementsource.ca. If you're out in Canada, get yourself some ephedrine. And, of course, you can support our programming by uh, checking out our Patreon. I'll have links to that below for Think Big Bodybuilding Media. Uh, Skip, Andrew, as always, it has been a pleasure, guys. Have a good one. And thank you, everybody, for watching on the live feed. We appreciate having you guys here. 